What's cracking, everybody? It's Pat McCullough with No Gray Areas, and today's episode, we got something special for you. We got a nice little switcheroo. We heard you were hungry for a new episode, so we served up a hot plate for you. Stay tuned for this episode of No Gray Areas. What's cracking, everybody? I'm Brandon Lopez, and I'm interviewing the one and only, yours truly, Pat McCullough. We're switching things up today because uh, we're going to interview your host of No Gray Areas, Pat McCullough. You've seen him every week doing No Gray Areas, but do you actually know this guy? Do you actually really like him? I know some of you guys have been following him for a long time. Some of you guys are very new to this, not knowing who Pat McCullough is, but uh, he's real. He's a legend. He's not just a myth. He's also my father-in-law, a great friend of mine. Here he is. Wow, that's quite the intro. Yeah. And you're my my favorite son-in-law. You could just say- My only son-in-law, but yeah. my favorite son You could just stop at favorite. <laughs> okay. That's all right, too. Yes. Yeah, yes. so uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm ex- super stoked that you asked me to uh, do the switcheroo with you. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's dive in, yeah? yeah? We're going to have fun. All right, so I want to do a little break, you know, icebreaker with you. I was thinking of something that would be really good for us to talk about, and I think every man wants to talk about this. All right? So top three, we're going to start with your third, second, then first. I want you to rank the you're in, in your opinion the three toughest sports. Oh my goodness. Um uh, and this will be a great reflection of of you too. Yeah. So make okay. sure you make Okay. Okay. We're going to go with um not not just sports but we're going to say sporting events. How about sporting events? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So we're going to go with uh number 3 is wrestling. Number 2 is uh um the Ironman triathlon. And number one is the Tour de France. Now you can tell, you can tell that I raced bikes in my younger younger yeah. years because there's there's it's a little tainted. But you still, you still race. You actually against race myself. with them. Yeah. Yes, against yeah. myself. Yeah. You put it on the screen and you race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, every July when the Tour de France comes on, uh, my my biking ups quite a bit because yeah. I'm watching it. They're four hour long races, and uh, I'm pretending like I still have it. Yeah. I run in there, remind you to take some. You know. Yes. So those carb yes, you know, yes. gummies and everything. All <laughs> yes. right. So number three, why wrestling? Um, I, I helped with a wrestling team once. I used to be good friends with the wrestler, and so he would use me as his guinea pig, and he was he outweighed me by a lot, and we would just wrestle. But I, I, so I never actually wrestled on a team, but I saw like when you start talking about like three minutes and, and or two minutes, and, and you'd think like, well, there's nothing to it. And I'm going... I did some really, really difficult sports when I like racing. I mean, you're pushing yourself to the edge and then beyond. And I'd wrestle with him and I'd be like, I just couldn't believe how exhausting with my whole body just yeah. hurt. And then when I was helping, I was, we, my, my wife now and I, we did this athletic training class when we were in high school and we were helping a local high school and uh, we helped our wrestling team and I saw their workouts and it was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if there's any other sport in high school that has workouts at this level. So. Nice. Did I answer yeah. correctly? That's what? actually a good answer. That would be that would have been my third pick. Okay. And yeah, it was actually wrestling would be probably my first pick if it was just for like the mentality. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's just like brute strength, brute endurance, just everything about it. Now, crazy, so, so so I know you're interviewing me, but just so yeah, yeah. I can help the audience know, yeah, yeah. there's there's some background to that because you're actually a trainer and you train people and you, you've done some 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 uh, wrestling. Mm-hmm fighting training for that karate yeah you actually have a yeah yeah so you i have a what belt oh yeah i i do have 
um, a black belt yeah. and sashes up yeah. in that. But um, yeah, my, my buddy actually tried to convince me to do wrestling all throughout high school. And I was not about the singlet. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> but my senior year, <laughs> I was finally true. like, and my senior year, I was at the peak of like training for like MMA at the time. So I was like, ah, I should probably just, you know, train wrestling. Yeah. And that's when I quickly learned like, okay, wrestling is, yeah, it's one, it's a phenomenal sport. Yeah. Phenomenal sport, but definitely one of the hardest sports ever. Yeah. yeah. Now, too, you said um, Ironman. I did not think about, okay. So you probably know a for, little more For the about people that, that yeah. don't know, you're you're swimming, um, I think, like a mile or so in the mm-hmm. water. And then you get out and you go right to a 112-mile bike ride. You know, that's taking about five hours on a bike and then a 26-mile run. Boom, 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 right after another. It's, All the things I hate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for my second one, I picked rugby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah? Because weight classes don't matter. <laughs> Yeah. Remember when I they throw down on that. Yeah. Remember when I recently yeah. said like, um, uh, I think I was talking to my son, Kyle, but I brought it up with yeah. you and I'm like, yeah, rugby's kind of a cool sport because you don't have to be like a freak of nature, like football. And both of you looked at me and like, have you ever looked at rugby players? Yeah. And they're, they're massive dudes. Yeah. Well, I just showed you a clip too. Yeah. Yesterday called the rhino run. This yeah. dude just <laughs> look it up audience. Yeah. Look it up. Look up rhino run rugby. rugby. And you just see like this guy does Do not, not want to yeah. be in front you of know. that guy. <laughs> no, it's a dude's a train. Yeah. All right. And then your number one, of course, remind us. What Tour de France. Yeah. Tour de France. Yeah. 21 yeah. days. You participate that every year. Yeah. Yep. I participate in it every yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, while they're riding 170 miles, I'm doing... 15 or 20 yeah. but i but i i feel like i'm with them it's it's the miles that count though yes, yeah yes. yeah but yeah. it's an intense it's intense yeah my number one pick was hockey what yeah so i had a conversation with my buddy about this and he brought up some really good points granted he is also super biased because he grew up you know yeah doing hockey but i want you to imagine now being on ice on on blades right essentially yeah, yeah. going 30 miles per hour hitting people yeah as hard as you can into walls or plexiglass and people knocking people off on onto the ground too. And not only that, you get upset with somebody, the ref's like okay with you fighting. <laughs> that is right? true. Not like, just okay, think, like they back away yeah, and they're like, well, I it didn't happen. Every sport, I, I think we could true. agree with this. I think every sport would benefit greatly if the ref just like, yeah, just settle it. You're right. Basketball, easy. You're right. Soccer, just let them, let them. You're jawing at each other yeah. on the basketball court, but the refs just back away and let you go at us for a few minutes. Yeah. Settle it. No, I yeah. don't know if I'd say hockey's the, the, the most difficult, but I Toughest. think if I could go back Toughest. and pick Toughest. any sport yeah. to play, it might be hockey. It's got oh, a little yeah. bit of everything. I mean, it's got the speed. You got the hand-eye coordination, the foot coordination. You get the hits. You get yeah. all that, and then just such a fast game. Like any, mm-hmm. if 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 anybody's gone to a hockey game and sat right down on the ice, it's incredible the it's athletes intense, yeah. are and how intense it is. Okay. Well, now that we got that through, yeah, there were some right answers in there, and you you got one okay. of them. So. Okay, good. No, <laughs> one for three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So I would love to give the listeners to you know gray areas more of a uh, a context of background of you. And uh, of course, I would like to go just, hey, let's, let's talk about your life story, right? But I think that's easy for me just to say, hey, tell me about, just give me like a chronological order of what you've been through. I think that's kind of boring. So I do want to do this, though. I want you to start with kind of just the origin of your life, like where you came from, just quickly. Just give us a quick yeah, little snippet yeah, yeah. and picture, and then I want to ask you some more. Like Very rural, rural Montana. We had one neighbor. I could see them across the horse pasture. I had one friend growing up um, outside of my, my brother. And um, so I grew up wood heat only. My mom cooked on a wood cook stove. We grew our own food in the backyard. We canned vegetables. I mean, I I grew up almost like uh, uh, someone who was two or three generations back. So there's a lot of good from that. I, I, I mean, Correct. my brother and I would disappear out on on Saturday in the summertime, or on a weekday even in the summertime. It's so much different than what it is for people today. Like my brother and I, we would wake up in the morning and we would disappear. 
and we come back and in Montana in the summer, it's getting dark around nine o'clock at night. And there was no checking in. There was no texting. There was no, we were just off in the woods, bears, cougars, mountain light, you know, all that stuff. No one was really worried about that. We're climbing trees. We're doing crazy stuff. We're floating the river. And so it was, in some ways it was a magical childhood. And I look back and I think, well, what's the value of that? I think I learned a really, really good work ethic from it. Mm-hmm. And then you just, having that kind of childhood, you just learn like some resiliency. Like you just, you have to figure things out. Mm-hmm. You, we were kind of on our own a lot. Um, back, I don't know if it was just my parents, but I think it was, um, it was a lot of parents in those days. Like they didn't play with you, so to speak. Like we didn't play games with them. So we were, we were kind of on our own on a lot of yeah. things. Somebody saw you. They probably like, yeah, that kid's homeless. <laughs> yeah, I looked homeless too. Yeah. We'd yeah. come home, we'd come home at night, and my dad would just make us strip down in the backyard, and he just hose us off because we'd be just covered with dirt, just out, just being out there. And and again, there was like no, I can't imagine as a parent nowadays being like that. You know, my seven year old kid has been gone for ten or twelve hours, and I don't even know where they are or if they're okay. That was just normal. Yeah, and this is the time, no cell phones. Yeah. 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 There's no checking in. There was no, there wasn't even like, I need you to come home every three hours and check in. So it wasn't like that. We were riding horses, like just, we just throw the reins on and just ride them bareback or neighbor yeah. horses. So it was, it, it was, it was magical in some ways. It was fun. That was the word I was about to say. Yeah. Sound magical. Yeah. 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 So to kind of give them a little bit more, an idea of how small of a community you were in. What was your graduating high school class <laughs> size? Yeah, great question. So we had one of the largest classes at that time, uh, 18. Nice. Yeah. The I class before us was in like one class. 12. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. The class before us was like 12. So we oh, were, right. our school was growing Record. really fast yeah. at 18. Yeah. So I married my high school sweetheart, but she didn't have a lot of choices. And it's ours, Me or eight other guys, you know, she didn't have so. She's got to be better I, than I had, the rest of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Didn't have a lot of competition. Yeah. That's the one thing I had going for me. Easy. Easy yeah, day. So yeah. now what I want to do is the kind of direction I want to go into is I want to know more about what kind of person you were at certain age ages. So for instance, like what was eight-year-old Pat like? I would say a couple of things about eight-year-old Pat. God was always very real to me. <laughs> so I remember probably around eight years old, I would sit on the fence looking at the pasture with our neighbor's horses in it. And I would literally sit there with like my 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 arm like this is kind of silly to say but I would be like talking to Jesus like he was sitting next to me and it's always been that way like I've just never struggled I've like anybody I've been driving down the road as an adult sometimes and been like well what if what if we're wrong I mean there's other people that have that believe other things just as passionately as I do like what if we're wrong so I've, I've had those doubts at times but they don't last very long like God has always been very very real to me I think the other thing was is I was always a I was always a dreamer. Like I loved from the time I was in and a reader. I've always read books like adventure books, explorers. And I didn't want like one of my biggest fears was probably living a boring life. If someone were to say to me when I was growing up, like, you know, it's important that you just grow up to be a good man. Mm -hmm. That sounded really boring to me. (laughs) Now I get that there's a lot of value being a good man. I get that. I really get that. I truly do. But I was like that seriously, that's it. There's got to be more. So adventure has always been really big to me. So at eight years old, I would say God was very real to me, and I was already passionate about living adventure. Where did that come from? Was that family? Uh, maybe a little bit. I think it was just wired that way. Hmm. Maybe a little bit. That's a good question. 
Especially like God, like was God a prevalent topic of discussion within the house? Oh yeah. Well, you know this about me. I I grew up in a home that was very religious. And I'll put that. Mm. Um, we went to. We were sent to a Christian school. We went to church. We went to. You know, older people know this was a wanna. I always a wanna. You're always memorizing verses. I memorized more verses than anybody, and so it was that was always real to me. But as I started growing older, I found out that one of my parents was living a double life. So, um. What I what I thought, you know, was what I thought who who I thought my dad was. Found out there's a lot of masks, and so I had to deal with all that. But my mom was the real thing, hmm. um, for sure. And she, I, from the early age, like when we drive into school, we would do like devotions together. She was memorizing the Book of Hebrews, and then I watched her just go through a lot of up and downs in life. And then she was a single parent in high school with two boys. My sister had already left. Um, graduated and left, and so and and then she she went through a lot of disappointments and discouragement and difficult things. But I just watched her face carry her through all that. So, yeah, I think some of it with the faith part of it definitely came from watching my mom. And then I always had great mentors. This is why I'm so passionate about mentors. Mm-hmm. I came so close a few times in my high school years to just I, I was walking that line so closely, and I came so close to and I and I look back and I think the one thing that kept me were some some men in my life, mainly coaches. But men in my life, mentors. That's why I'm such a, I'm so passionate about mentors. I still have mentors in my life. I'm almost 52. I turned 52 here in a month and a half. And I could still name a couple of people. I'm like, these are still mentors in my life that I look up to. Yeah, I think that's going to be a topic that I want to get into later on in this discussion too, just because I think uh, we both can agree, especially you being on the the receiving end of mentorship, but also being a mentor yourself to other people. You see the the importance of that, right? And so- Um, as growing up, especially at that young age, do you think, you know, looking back, you see that there was, especially coming from more of a religious home, uh, would you say like more of a home, whether it would just be religious or submitting to authority of God, that there were principles and values that carry through in that? Oh, for like, sure. Through your mom's parenting as well? Oh, huge, huge. But then like anybody, I had to own it eventually mm-hmm. at some point. For me, that was my freshman year. That was the year I was actually... That was where I was walking the line. I was walking down to, uh, it, was a, it was a party, and I was going to go there, and I was going to just cut loose. Like, I was going to, and that was the, the, the that was the moment where I, I didn't do it, and I decided, no, you know what, I'm all in with this. I'm all in with this God thing. This isn't my parents. This isn't my mentors. This isn't my coaches. This is mine. I'm owning this. So I think everybody that grows up in a, in a Christian home or a religious home, there has to come the point where they own it themselves. So I, I came to that at like I said, I think around my freshman year. Yeah. So yeah, let's lead right into that. So like 14 to 18 year old Pat, what was 14 to 18 year old Pat, especially when you're saying when you were 14, that's when you really owned your own faith. What got you to that point of being like, nah, this is, this is for me. I, I think it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it was, I mean, I can go into, I, I went to a great church. The school that I went to was really good, but I think a lot of it was when I look back at my life, it, it had always been real to me. Mm-hmm. It always had, like when I was a little boy, a lot of times little kids, it's just something that their parents are teaching yeah. you. And it was, but it was, it was so real to me. So I think that's a lot of it, but you know, you asked what I was like at eight. And then I think of 14 to 18, what I was like, I would say I was still an adventure. I still, I just, then I wanted to follow God, but I wanted to follow God in the adventure. But I was also very lonely in those ages. No one would have known that. I was the class clown. I was the funny guy. No one knew I was going home, and this is a great reminder. You don't you don't know when you see someone what's really going on because I was going home every night and like crying myself to sleep. 
So I was extremely lonely in those years, but all in with God and looking for adventure. What was this also like a fa- like inspired by family or was this like I don't know I feel like you the also tears grew- at night? huh no yeah <laughs> yeah did you have tears in your night no no no, no I'm saying is that no, I mean like for the adventure part especially because I I've known you ever since I've known you too like you just always been looking for the next trip the next adventure the next you know memories that you could be made was that something that your family like always had done was that if, like a family kind of tradition just be adventurous i know like probably the time that you grew up too yeah. like westerns were probably like a, yeah, a yeah, big yeah, thing yeah. as well and so like you're saying like well there's you know be a good guy or have a great story don't have a boring life and i'm just picturing you watching westerns like ah the good guy's also you know a really cool guy that's you know that's, exactly yeah, yeah exactly i think i did figure out i don't con- i never really consciously thought this but i did figure out that you know, you can actually have a lot of adventure and be a good guy at the same time. Oh, yeah. Like you can do both. You can be a good man, a good husband, a good father, a good friend, good brother, and still have a lot of adventure. So I think I did learn that. Where did I learn that? I, I don't know for sure. It was certainly some of the stuff I grew up watching. Like Jacques Cousteau was, you, you know, this part of my story. I never saw the ocean until I was 28 years old, but I grew up watching Jacques Cousteau. And for all of the younger people, this was a Frenchman that like dove the most incredible places all over the world. And I'd never even seen the ocean, but I just knew someday, someday. So when I see the ocean at 28, and you know my story, I ended yeah. up getting certif- becoming a certified diver and is kind of dove all over the world mm-hmm. um, now. But that was kind of one piece of that adventure. So where did I get it? I think it was more just watching things. And then I think, you know, are, are we born with something or are we made? You know, I think there's a lot more we're born with a personality. Like, mm-hmm. My personality probably didn't matter what family I was in. I was probably going to be wired the way I was wired. I think I was going to love adventure no matter where I was. I like to say that personality is what you're born with, character is what you develop. Well, I like that. Yeah. Say that again. Yeah. Personality is what you're born with, character is what you develop. So you could, you know. That's good. Yeah. Post that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah, know, the yeah. grayscale, <laughs> you know, insta picture with that quote. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> That's that's yeah. really good. I would totally agree yeah. with that. That that our personality was kind of it's not going to shift and change a lot in life. Mm-hmm. Like who I am now at almost fifty two and who I was at twenty, it's really similar personality wise. We'll probably get into some of that a little bit later. Character though, that's not given to you. Mm-hmm. You develop that. Yeah. That's good. So fourteen to eighteen. I also know some of your stories too. You were a class clown. Uh, how were you at school? <laughs> I'm the one that made the top two thirds of the class possible. Yep. Let me put it that way. Well, <laughs> Here's the thing. I basically lived on my own through high school. So my parents get divorced. My mom was a single mom and she basically was just like, just I just need to know where you are. So at three in the morning, I'd call her and tell her where I was. Fortunately, I was hanging around good people. Like I was doing dumb stuff, but it wasn't, it was dumb stuff because I was a guy with too much testosterone, you know, so dangerous stuff. Yeah. But, but I wasn't getting in trouble with drugs and alcohol. Um, what was your question? Uh, school. <laughs> did you, did this, you think you had a hard time it. paying attention in school? <laughs> I, did. Yes, I did. This explains it. Yeah. I would have definitely, definitely uh, been told I have, that it wasn't back then, but ADHD. Here's the funny thing. You know this about me. I've always loved learning. When I was in school, I just didn't like someone telling me what to read. So I'd go home and I'd be reading books sometimes till two in the morning, but it was whatever I wanted to read. So I loved reading history. So I, school just bored me. If it wasn't for sports, I would have. I probably would have dropped out because I didn't have. Again, I was kind of living on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have dropped out if it wasn't for sports. I hated school, but I loved learning. Yeah, and that's something that I think we've had plenty of conversations over. 
especially in today's age, how easy it is to learn. Like academics, how important it is, doesn't necessarily mean or measure one's ability to actually learn something. Yeah. And I think knowing you, ever since I've known you, you've always been reading books. And there's something that I've I've heard um, the name drop, um, heard Alex Ramosi say, is that the, the way that you measure one's ability to learn is when you take information and then also then apply it. Behavior change is yeah. what the real metric is for one's ability to learn and their ability to learn fast. Yeah. And so I think most of the things I, I think I would go on a stretch here to say is that probably most of the stuff that you've learned in life has been very much more on your own. Oh, probably 100%. for sure. You know, being the influences around you, the mentors around you, the books that yeah. you have read. Well, I've even taken right. personality profiles. I'm not knocking Everybody's got different personalities, but even my personality profiles will say that. Like mm-hmm. I love to learn through experience. Like that's one reason I think school. What? Okay, so I was a teacher and a coach. I'm not like ripping on teachers here. I was a teacher and a coach. Almost a high school dropout <laughs> to a teacher. <laughs> yes. They forgot. They, the same they school forgot. that yeah. I went to yeah. hired me four yeah. years later when I came back with no teaching degree or never stood up and taught in a class in my life. And they're like, hey, why don't you start teaching? But I, I, I look back and I go, it feels like sometimes in school, um, teachers go out of their way to take something that's fascinating and make it boring. Because history... Is fascinating. Science is fascinating. Literature is fascinating. But most of those classes are incredibly boring. I agree. So that's my okay. Get let yeah. me get off of my soapbox yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. No, keep going. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna yeah, get I'll, in trouble. Probably, I'll reel you back. Yeah. I'm gonna get in trouble. Yeah, I hear you. All right, cool. So you were very much more. I, I think we would have been very similar in the sense of high school years for you. To kind of summarize a little bit, was you enjoyed your time just having fun looking for adventure you were very bored in the classroom yeah 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 Yeah. sports is what pretty much kept you together yeah but those years molded me so much because i had some of the most important mentors in my life in those years like some of my coaches and some of my teachers were some of the most important mentors and continued to be up through my 20s so those were valuable years it wasn't like a waste i i wasted a lot of those years i mean like again i i my, I, I married, as you know, I married the valedictorian and someone who was really smart and like, you know, everything. I don't think she knew what a B was in her entire life. And I didn't know what a B was either, but from the <laughs> other direction. <laughs> hey, it's not what you know, it's who you know that knows this stuff, yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So I guess before we move on to the next, you know, stage of life, because you kept mentioning the mentors in your life in that 14 to 18 year span of your age, I mean, what was like the number one thing that you took away from a mentor from that age group and really influenced a lot of the decision-making that you've done, you know, from there on out also, you know, influenced the way that you process things, thought about things, pondered on things, the actions that you took. Like if you did not have that mentor or had heard one of the things that they told you, would that have greatly changed the path, you know, moving forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man, you know, that's really hard to narrow down to one. And I think what I would say is the the one thing I took away is the importance of mentors, which sounds kind of a cheap way out of it. But that's why even at 52, I still have them in my life. I, it's hard for me to narrow down, like, what is the one thing they taught you? Because there were so many. But I think what I walked away from those years knowing is like, I have to have people in my life for me being a man, especially men in my life, but it could be men or women, but usually it's been men in my life. I have to have men in my life that are going to help me figure out how to make this journey in life. 
And I need some of them my own age. I need some of them that are younger than me because we all learn from each other. But I definitely need some that are older than me that have taken this journey ahead of time. So I, I, I have someone in my life now that I met 10 years ago or something, and he's in his 70s, and he and I meet every few months, and we sit down, we just talk life together. Mm -hmm. uh, because So I, I, to answer your question, the one thing I took away, you better have mentors in your life. I tell our audience right now, if you can't quickly name right now two or three people in your life that are helping you do this journey, you need to get them in your life. I would like to make a claim in this way too. I think especially, you know, this is how we relate, especially too, because, you know, we're men, especially young men. I would say that you'd probably 100% agree with that because Absolutely. I think men are very capable of doing really good things and also capable of doing really bad things. Yeah. I feel like men are capable of doing great things, capable of doing really bad things, and a lot of stupid stuff in between. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I, would I think the importance of having mentors that are older, and this is kind of one of the things that I, I think is a really cool thing, common theme for No Gray Areas, the podcast, having people of different walks of life, different stories, different ways that they've gone about things, is uh, that we can gain their wisdom through their lessons learned without earning their scars. Yes. And you get a mentor like that, especially that's older, that you, yeah. you see the lessons that they've had and it's kind of like one of those things like, mom, dad, don't tell me what to do. Like they're trying to impart some wisdom to you because they're like, I don't want you to see you get hurt or whatever it might be, or go through the same pains that I went through. But when you have a, a mentor that you kind of submit to their, I don't want to say like submit to their authority in your life, but submit to their authority in the sense of like, hey, I'm going to actually listen yeah. to you and take to heart what you say, whether I apply it or not. Yeah. Right. But, uh, is that, you know, going through life just in general is we're going to always have some kind of wound that we're going to have, right? And when we see people that are older from us, usually we see them in scars. And usually scars mean that there was a lesson learned there. Yeah. Some people you might see, um, they might be scabbing wounds. Sometimes you might see somebody scabbing wounds and they're still picking at it. Sometimes you see somebody maybe having an open wound because it's fairly new, but they're allowing it to heal. Yeah. And some people might have an open wound and it's getting infected. Yep. And having mentors that have already walked through that, you know, gone through life and has gained they more knowledge. Any one of those yeah, situations. They could be any of those situations. Yeah. But to see where you're at and kind of uh, one of the analogies I like to throw out is um, sometimes like the scenario that you're in is kind of like a forest. And sometimes we're just too close to the trees to know that it's actually like the a forest. We're too close to the, the bushes kind of thing. And sometimes we just need somebody that has a different kind of perspective to pull us out. Be like, hey, this is the actual yeah. big picture here. And they've been through that force yeah. before. Yeah, especially if we respect them, they could yeah. tell us, hey, quit being dumb. Yeah. Or <laughs> or they could be more loving, of and, course. And, you know, there's that's an option too. <laughs> but here's Brandon, here's what I love about mentorship too. And this mentor that I was mentioning before, that's in the seventies now that I meet with every once in a while, he does this really well. And I think is a is a is a because I mentor some people too now, and I've learned from him on this. Mentoring isn't just one way either. Like you're learning too. This guy, when we'll meet sometimes, he spends a lot of times a asking me questions and, and listening to me and he'll be like, that's really an interesting, and he's taking notes. And so I've actually learned from him, watching him do that, going, here's a guy that has achieved an enormous amount in his life and would be, would be looked at by most people as this mentor that's on this hilltop, and yet he's still taking notes mm -hmm. and he's still learning. And so I think mentorship, true mentorship is a two-way street. So again, I tell the audience, if you don't know right now, if you can't immediately in your mind go, oh, these are two or three people I have in my life that are my mentors, you need to go find them. And when you find those, make sure they're people that are also learning from you. Mm -hmm. 
It's mutual. Yeah. It's, a, it's a journey that we're taking together. But they've just been through some of those forests. Well, I think it's what makes a the difference between a great teacher and a good teacher is great teachers know how to navigate conversation. They know how to ask better questions. Yeah. Right? And they're always learning about the individual that they're they're with. And the only way that you can actually teach somebody yeah. or mentor them is to legitimately get to know them and ask them questions. Yeah. Like if you have a mentor that talks more than listening, you probably don't have a mentor. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a curiosity. Yeah. I think a good mentor has a curiosity about life, a curiosity about mm -hmm. you. You know, like if, if I was mentoring you, there's a curious I'm genuinely curious about learning about you and knowing you better. That's what a good mentor is, yeah. I think. And then when it's mutual, when it's going both ways, that's where it's a great mentor relationship. Yeah. So there there is that curiosity piece for sure and listening. Right. Yeah. So let's go into uh what was Pat like when he was twenty one to twenty five? I wasn't lonely anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm married now. Married. To the love of my life. Sure. So we got married at nineteen. So Crazy. We should back up. Yeah, yeah. 19 to 20. Crazy story. We <laughs> meet in sixth grade. We date through high school. We did, we marry each other 19. And um, I always, you know, you've heard me say this, but uh, I talk about my life. There's BS, like BC and AD in time. I have BS before Charmin and, <laughs> and after Charmin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, I just, it's the single greatest gift that God put in my life for sure, without a doubt. So 21 to 25 was a totally different, um, I feel like now I'm like doing life with a teammate and um, I'm learning a lot and I'm starting to feel like, not, you know, as we journey through my life, I'm going to peel layers back here, but I'm starting to feel like I can do, I can do anything. Like just give me a chance and I'll figure out anything. I'll take any hill. That's how I'm starting mm -hmm. to feel at that age. But there's yeah. good and bad about that. Yeah. But at that age is where I'm starting to go like, if you just give me a chance if you just hire me, I'll, I'll, I'll show you, I can do this. That's, that's where I'm yeah. kind of at in that age. Yeah. And, uh, not only that, but you were of course married ages 21 to 25. You're having kids. You got two kids two by the kids time I'm 25. Time. And you have three kids. And total. a third kid comes yeah. along a year yeah, or two yeah. after that. So yeah, I'm a dad. Yep. So, so I'm learning how, how to do marriage, how to do life, how to be a father. Are you teaching at this time? Um, when I was 23, 23. teaching. So then you started teaching. Yeah. You were coaching. Yeah. 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 So, so a great evolution of somebody that we've seen so far being like a young kid of like just being adventurous, you know, never being home, uh, faith always being within the, you know, within the household, going into your high school years of always seeking mentorship, not being the, the best advocate for probably like school. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely not the poster child for a good student. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I got student of the month ever. Yeah. Probably, you know, partook in a lot of sports, enjoyed yeah, sports. Yeah, like yeah. that's where you, you'd probably, you know, thrive. Going into a big commitment at a young age at 19, getting married, yeah. to then starting a family. So yeah. trying to lead, like be a, a good husband, being a good father. Now also taking the role of a teacher and mentor yourself at the very school that you probably would have dropped out at. Yeah. <laughs> of, right? Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, but, you know, knowing, you, you know, your story, probably arguably being one of the more favorable teachers and coaches at said school as well. Like that's a lot that happened between the ages of like pretty much in the moment that you graduated high school all the way to yeah. mid twenties. There's another principle that's coming up as you're kind of walking through that. And I go on, I'm again for our listeners and there's something about giving people some chances on paper. I was not the guy you should have brought on, but I, I will. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to say this humbly, but I, I was a good teacher and I was a good coach. 
I work hard at it and I had to, to figure things out because I didn't go to school for it or to like learn from it. I just had to kind of learn as I went. But I look back on that and I go on, it's because someone gave me a chance. And, you know, I think in life sometimes if you go, if you give someone a chance, like they're, they're, there's going to be people that are going to disappoint you when you do that. But all of us, at some point, we need someone to just give us a chance. And I, I know anybody who's listening who's in their 20s, they're probably going, yeah, no kidding. Because in your 20s, you're always like, you're just trying to prove yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how I described like the 20s. I felt like in my 20s, I was just trying to prove myself. Like, give me a chance and I'll prove myself. 30s, I started figuring out who I was. 40s, I figured out who I was. And I don't want to waste any time doing anything I'm not good at anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good uh, segue then. So you just alluded that in your 30s that you started figuring out who you are. So yeah. in your 20s, you're like, give me a chance. I'll prove it. Yeah. Like, I'm going up this, you know, I'm battling, yeah. you know, warrior mentality kind of thing. Now, let's just look at, it, you know, Pat in the span of a decade in his 30s. What's Pat in his 30s? What is he like? And now he's figuring himself out. Hey, from your No Gray Areas team, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're loving this episode, would you just take a moment and leave us a review rating on whatever platform you're listening from? If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the new podcast episodes that drop every other Wednesday. By leaving a review and subscribing, you help others discover our podcast's inspirational messages to effectuate positive change in their lives. Okay, let's jump back in to this episode. What's Pat in his 30s? What is he like? And now he's figuring himself out. Yeah. Man, 30s was was one of my favorite decades so far. And I love my 30s. I mean, the kids are are growing up. They're in elementary, going through junior high and high school. I'm actually given some chances now. I got some opportunities. Um, I'm still like, I, we can take this hill. And I'm really feeling that way. And that's an important part of my story. In my 20s, I started feeling that way. In my 30s, I'm really feeling that way. I'm like, I'll, I can do any. Just give me a chance and I'll take that hill. And I'm really feeling that in my 30s. And... And again, this is going to sound arrogant to say it right now, but when people hear my whole story, it's not going to sound arrogant. And my 30s are proving it. I'm like, yeah, you give me anything and I'll grow it. I'll make it better. And I was doing it. I was doing it. So I'm going through my 30s, really figuring out how I'm wired, how God put, how God made me, how he, how he put me together, my personality, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And, and I'm, and I'm, most of it was, it was a good decade. Then we get to my 40s. Then we get to your 40s. Oh, already going to the 40s. I feel like you want to go to your 40s. Wow. So I got to say really quick, I'm actually, I'm 29. I'm very much looking forward to my 30s. Because, oh, you should you know, be. I hear you saying your 30s are great. I'm like, everybody's dreading 30. No. I'm like, ah, I'm no, looking no. for 30. But I will say this. I had Chipotle the other night. Yeah. And it wrecked me. I was like, if this is any way that my 30s would yeah. feel like. Yeah. I'm not excited well, anymore. <laughs> you are you are starting in your 30s. You are starting yeah. to see like like again. I, I remember in my mid 30s, I came home one night after playing basketball because you know I've gone from the sport like sports was everything to now I'm Towards just France, a dad so, and a, know, yeah, yeah yeah now I'm just playing in like church league city league basketball yeah. games and we're all slow now and we're throwing elbows and a lot of these scars on my face are from church league and, and city it's actually basketball. more nasty you know church. yeah yeah. Church ball is worse than street ball, right? But I remember my mid-30s coming <laughs> home, and I just dropped my shoes on the floor, and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm done. I become that guy. I become that guy. I can't play anymore. I, my my mind tells me to, to to move to the right. My body's just too slow. So in your 30s, you are starting to see your body break down. You're yeah. starting to see. But but you're, the, the, the other side of it that's so fun in your 30s is you're really you're, all the things you've been learning and building on through your teens and 20s and 30s it's starting to to play out now 
And now you're not sitting around the table anymore, sometimes going like, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Now you actually are sometimes the one going, hey, well, what about, yeah. you have, you feel like you have things to offer because you're, it's, it's all coming together. So you're, oh, you're, you got to. So for our young listeners, right, 20s, maybe some of them might be in high schools too, um, looking forward to like those kind of things. One would probably, what you probably would say is just give time, time. Yeah. Yeah. But don't just time, time, you know, the whole thing, say time heals, that's garbage. Time isn't magical. Time, time you'll learn with time. You're not going to just learn with time. If you're learning, as time goes, you'll learn. If you're healing, as time goes, you'll heal. So time isn't a magic potion, but everything does take time. It's 10,000 hour rule, mm-hmm. right? They say no one is an, a, an expert. I don't actually believe in experts. So that's why I put it in quotes. There's no such thing as expert. There's someone just further along on the learning curve. But someone who's a long ways along on the learning curve, that golfer, that football player, that speaker, that whatever, it, it's, it's been proven. It's taken them 10,000 hours. Don't do the math on that. You don't get 10,000 hours in on practice of anything, whether it's speaking, whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. You don't get 10,000 hours in without years, years of consistent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say to anybody who's younger, I'm like, hey, time is going to be your friend if you're doing the things in that time that you need to do. Staying active in it. Yeah. 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 And I like to think about it too, is that a lot of people look at others that are further ahead of them. And oftentimes we like to think of the people that are like the greats within a certain industry or certain sector of life or whatever it might be. And I think the biggest difference between us and them, these greats, you know, as we could say, is that they just took the time to learn the game. Yeah. And they know the rules of the game. And oftentimes it's just a, our way of like, okay, this is the game, quote unquote, game of life, right? Yeah. And we just got to learn the game and how to participate in it because yeah. you're either going to play it or you're not. And the f- matter of fact is life moves on. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, ought to learn, yeah. you know, the game kind of thing, right? The greats, the greats have both. They've got the, they've got the talent, like they've, they got the natural piece. Mm-hmm. Like you're not great unless you have the natural piece. Like I remember when I was, uh, in Chicago for school. I'm 20 years old and I go down and there's some semi-pros going to play basketball. They shut the whole gym down and it was kind of an invite only. And they invited me down to play. And I was always known that I was like really quick and everything. But that was the day where I'm going, oh, these guys, this is another level. It was, I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was just flat out embarrassed. I left early. And I did, that's where I realized the greats, there's just this natural, but then they've combined it with the 10,000 hours mm-hmm. and a resiliency. It's those three things together that make it. Yeah. But that's, again, what I say to someone that's young, if you're not putting in the 10,000 hours on whatever it is that you're work, it, working toward, it, I don't care if you give it 10 years or 20 years, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. So you got to be doing the work. Nice. And now before I move into the 40s, what 20, were you doing? 40s. Well, yeah. What were you doing in your 30s? So you're um, still, like, you, you stopped teaching, right? Did you transition out of teaching? Yeah, yeah. So I left teaching and I was kind of, I was a little bit of an entrepreneur. To t- you know, so I remember I was leaving teaching. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I was driving by a field one day and there was a for sale sign in it. And I had dabbled with some um, contracting, you know, painting and and um, done a little bit of framing. And I'm like, I should, I should buy that and build houses. Never built houses before, but I'm like, well, I'll go buy a book at Barnes and Noble, building houses for dummies and I'll figure it out. So I did. I, I, you know, I had to go to like 10 different banks because I didn't know how to have the conversation, but, but I figured it all out and I built houses for a few years and I really actually hated that, but I learned a lot of good things in it. And I did that for, for two years or so. And then we moved to Phoenix and I started working with an international relief and development organization. I did that for, 
I think five or six years and that grew into an anti-human trafficking movement and we did a documentary on it. And those were just, again, those were great years because we did some unprecedented things as a team, as a group of people. And it was a group of us that were like going, I don't care if they say this isn't possible, we're going to do it. Because nothing at that time, there was nobody doing some of the stuff that you guys were doing at that time. No. Just the awareness part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like when we first heard in 2008, when I heard that there, that it was actually the vice mayor of Phoenix that came into a meeting late. She was crying and she said, I'm sorry I'm late. I was just meeting with our vice officers. We rescued a 13-year-old girl who had been trafficked here. And, I'm go- and I was like, wait, what? Like I knew that happened in Thailand. And I, everybody now, like no one's listening that, that, that thinks that way. But everybody in the U.S. back then, almost everybody back in the U.S. at that time in 2008 was like, what? That doesn't happen here. And then as I started getting educated to it, I'm like, oh, it happens all the time. I mean, we're sitting in the studio here, and I guarantee you within a few miles from here right now, there's underage girls that are going to be trafficked tonight. Um, This wealthiest part of the city, the poorest part of the city. So it happens all over. So we ended up making a documentary that became nationally known. We ended up starting a safe house, one of the first safe houses for underage girls here. It was was amazing what was done. Amazing and hard. Yeah. It was hard. I think where by 40s, where I ended up in my 40s, was some of the brokenness I carried from dealing with that. Yeah. One little thing, one little nugget before we get to your 40s. This is actually the beginning portion of where our connection yes. begins. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't meet you till probably like, what, seven to nine years after this point. Mm-hmm. But you have met my sister because yeah. she started getting involved. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentored her into her starting her own nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was actually, yeah, yeah she was doing, she was in high school and she's doing this awareness thing and doing an amazing job with it. And she actually had talked about like, hey, let's roll this under the nonprofit that we had started. And thank God now in hindsight, I said, no, don't roll it under yeah. it because that turned into a mess. But I said, don't roll it un- don't don't roll it under it. Just maybe look at having it separate. Mm-hmm. And she did that. Now yeah. she's got her own non, they do an amazing awareness. Give them a little pr- plug, Red Light yeah. Rebellion. Red Light Rebellion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, look it up, Red Light Rebellion. They do an amazing awareness program for, for youth. Um, primarily in Phoenix, but they're spreading outside of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was your sister. Yeah. Didn't even know you. And then years yeah. later, you end like up going on a trip to Mexico. Yeah, years and my then. daughter's on it. Yeah. And then- And she couldn't keep her eyes off. Yep. She couldn't keep her eyes yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then a few months after that, you met your favorite person in the world. Yeah. She goes through Marine Corps <laughs> Marine Corps boot camp. And yeah. She comes she out of it. Stop riding like, me. Dad, there's this guy that wrote me every day. We're just friends. And I said, mm-hmm. No guy writes you yeah. every day where you just spread. Yeah, she don't. And yeah, you guys make a great team now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, let's get into your 40s. So what was Pat like in his 40s? I know there was a lot of- um... 40s were hard. 40s were hard, yeah. 40s were hard. I'm yeah. glad I'm out of my 40s. Yeah. 40s, hard isn't even the word for it. 40s sucked. <laughs> <laughs> if I could be more crass, I would yeah. use some other words on here, but they yeah. were- you know, I went into my 40s feeling like, again, like, man, we, I could do anything. I could do anything. And um, that's when things just started crashing for me. So, um, you know, we're, we're taking this nonprofit that's, that's taken off and getting national exposure, and it is just taking off. And the chairman of the board says, hey, can we meet? And I'm confident we're going to. I, in fact, I go to the Starbucks across the street from where I was going to meet him, and I'm writing notes and everything. And just, I mean, we had turned that whole organization around. We're making money, like we're bringing in money like crazy. Um, we, we have exposure. We brought in our first, we got licensed. We brought in our first, I mean, we opened on a Friday and on Sunday, the FBI in Denver, Colorado, we don't even know how they know us. 
call us and say, hey, we rescued a girl. We're bringing her down. And so Monday we get our first survivor that's brought down to us. So, I mean, all this stuff is happening. So I'm thinking that I'm going to go meet with the chairman of the board and he's going to be like, oh, great job, Pat. You're doing amazing. Keep it up. And I get fired. And I'm like, oh. And that that was kind of the first time in my life where, um, as you know, I've shared this and I've shared this on this podcast before, an internal vow I took, and I always encourage people to really wrestle with what their internal vow is. I believe everybody, when they were young, they took an internal vow and they don't even realize it. My internal vow was I'll prove you wrong. So I had a lot of things going against me growing up. And so I was always like, give me a chance. You heard me saying that in the 20s and 30s. Give me a chance. I'll prove you wrong. And I did. And I was very successful at it. This is the first time all of a sudden where I'm not successful anymore. I did what I thought would have proved him. I thought, and then all of a sudden they're saying, we want someone else. And that, that uh, kind of crushed me. And then, and then, uh, then I get another job and I'm in all these years through my thirties, I've been really, really developing my public speaking skills. And I'm really in my forties, it starts coming together and I'm doing, I'm starting to get on bigger stages and being asked to speak around the country. And all of a sudden I'm on a stage one time and I have this panic attack and I've never felt that before. I don't even know what's going on. Like there was a guy speaking and he was going to introduce me. I'm standing over there at the bistro table on the side of the stage with another guy and I hear him going like, and so in a moment we're going to have Patrick come up and he's going to share with us. Oh, I'm yeah. can't breathe. And I don't know what's going on. I've never felt anything like that. Never, ever. And I don't know what's going on. And in fact, I, I must look so bad because the other guy like leans over and he goes, you okay? Because I must, I was like pale or something. And then I hear off to the side, I hear, okay, so would you please welcome Pat to, to the stage? And everybody claps. And I realize I'm not going to be able to talk, so I just walk off the front of the stage. And I go back to my office, and I just start weeping because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing because this isn't just like I'm not a visiting speaker here. This is actually my job now. These are people that I speak to every weekend. And, uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, uh, I don't know what's going on. And then that launches, as you know, this part of the story, and some of our listeners do, I mean, for the next uh, eight to ten years, I battled that every week. Like it wasn't like what was at one point speaking was like, I would sit on the edge of the stage. My legs would be bouncing. I'm like, let me up there. Let me up there. Kind of like when you were a, mm -hmm. an athlete and you're like, put me in the game coach to, um, it's Monday and I know I have to speak on Saturday and I'm, I'm having panic attacks just thinking about getting on the stage, but I'm doing it week after week, after week, after week, after week, year after year yeah. after year. And it's getting harder and harder and harder. And, and then, you know, later in my forties, that happens again where all of a sudden I feel like I've turned this organization around and we have it going in a great way and we're taking this hill and I come back from a trip and I get fired. And so that's, I mean, it's just a glimpse if for the audience on, on the way the forties, they say it kind of sucked because I had up until then, I'm like, give me a chance. We'll take this hill. Give me, you give me a good team and we'll take this hill. And that had always worked for me. And then all of a sudden I feel like we're taking the hill, but then and then having an internal vow of, I'll prove you wrong, mm -hmm. that wasn't working for me because I thought I had proved him wrong, but then they said, well, we don't want you. We want someone else. So it was, I, I was having to deal with a lot of really crushing, um, I was being crushed yeah. in my forties and having to deal with things that I had never dealt with. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think that's what's difficult about the scenarios that you were in is that it wasn't like you were on a decline either, like you were winning. I thought we were like yeah. when you got a team player that's helping, yeah. you know, put points on the scoreboard. Yeah, you know, just 
pull them out. In fact, alone, get rid of them. In fact, right? Brandon, I use that exact thing with that. So the first time that happened with my um, with my staff team of that nonprofit that we had started combating human trafficking, and the board started coming down and and getting involved in stuff boards shouldn't get involved in and asking some tough questions and all of the staff were kind of frustrated and and I told them exactly what you just said. I said, listen, from my coaching background, I'm telling you, we just win games and it shuts everyone up. So let's just, we go get licensed. We get girls coming in here. We start bringing more money in. We win games and it'll shut. And, and we win one games and you still get, and that's just the reality. You look at the world and coaches sometimes get fired that are winning games too because they don't get along with whatever the case. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't like things were declining and mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting there going, well, I can kind of see why they did that. I, I'm still looking back. I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. It made it a little more confusing. Which also just very much like whether you want to admit it or not, that's like, it's crushing to the ego. Huge. Right? It's one thing to accept like, ah, okay, I did suck a little bit. Maybe yeah. I deserve to get fired. Yeah. But it's like, if you're winning and you're doing well and then you get fired, like yeah. what? Yeah, you know, and then and the way makes you evaluate yourself. Yeah, I'm sharing stuff publicly yeah. for the first time. I've never shared yeah. publicly. I've kind of kept my mouth shut on things for a long time. But the, the way things went down in both of those cases, they never really said anything either. They mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, all of a sudden, all these donors and people and and um, 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 congregation in one of them is asking these questions like, "What did he do? Did mm-hmm. like he did he go have an affair? Did he embezzle money? Did he go?" There's just no one saying anything. So not only was it a blow to my ego. But there's a lot of people that actually don't know the story, never did know the story. And so that was which even is, a bigger blow to my ego. Which I think part, part, yeah, about. reputation. Yeah. I think, again, that was, I look back now, it's still painful. Mm-hmm. I look back now and I go, God was doing some things in me that he's helping me heal from that internal vow I took that had worked for me really well for a lot of years, but wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not a good way to live. I'll prove you wrong. I'll prove you wrong. It, it'll work for you for a while. And it did for me, but it's not a healthy way to live. It's kind of an ugly way to live. You always got a chip on your shoulder. You're always trying to make people like you. You're always worried about what people are saying and thinking about you. That's an ugly way to live. And I think maybe for me, everybody's got a different journey. For me, maybe the only way I was going to learn to not live that way, and I'm still learning that. As you know, we're close enough mm-hmm. friends. We talk about this sometimes. I'm still learning it, is I had to go through some crushings. That's the only way I was going to learn it. I'm not saying that God caused it, but I think God allowed it. Mm-hmm. And in allowing that, he's he was working in the midst of some really broken mm-hmm. situations. Well, I kind of want to just really quick just skim through some more little details just to kind of give people a little bit more context of just how crazy your 40s were. So not, especially at the tail end of your 40s. Like, so at this time too, you already have, um, you have grandkids. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. a bigger family. Family's, ex- you know, yeah. getting bigger and everything at this time. Like, I'm a part of the family. Yeah. Thanks for bringing some of those grandkids to yeah. us, by the way. Yeah. 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 But uh, the, especially at the, yeah, at the tail end of your your 40s, like, it's not even, like, just being able to witness and, and be a part of your life in that phase. It wasn't either just, like, like, you guys were growing, you were implementing new teams, like, things, good things were legitimately happening. And then... To flip the script, like this could be like a, like kind of like maybe a scene in a movie kind of thing, just because of how things were going and how the, you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath you. Like friendships were ruined. Um, reputation was dragged through the mud. Like, I don't mean to like kind of just, yeah, no, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, reputation was dragged through the mud. A lot of questions. And I think that's the worst thing about, you know, this kind of scenario is when questions don't get answered, yeah. then, 
questions are left to anybody's imagination and people will when imagine the worst a lot of times yeah and yeah. then if you don't answer or rebuke those things yeah. then they somehow or slowly become true to some people um at said organization like you were assaulted like yes. physically and verbally like like this isn't just like small little things so like when you're saying like you're going that to was pretty messy you, yeah it was it was a mess it was not a fun time it was the opposite of a fun time it's not what we want it's not the kind of adventure that you were probably looking for so like your 40 like your 30s going to your 40s and like good things and big things were happening in your 40s but it just seemed like every door that could possibly slam in your face especially at the the times where you feel like oh man this is going to be like more of a burst of you know good things to happen slammed in your face yeah yeah and then i i finally get the again i've been working my whole life as a public speaker and i finally get these stages now where it's like this is this is what you dream of. This is what mm -hmm. I dreamed of when I was in my late teens and early 20s and loved speaking. I finally have that stage, but I'm battling. No one knows I'm battling this issue, mm -hmm. you know, in the background really, 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 really bad. You know, you know, I'm I'm back there in the green room trying to figure out. I always had two, two intros ready. One intro was if I was going to go out there and feel pretty good. And one intro was if I'm going to feel this this anxiety really bad. And then I've got every story, every illustration, every closing that I had. I had two scenarios that I always had to have. So I, that's just constant. That pressure was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I finally get that stage. And then I kind of, in a, in a, in a, without giving details, get kind of pushed out of that one too. Then, you know, it's, I wasn't fired, but it's, it's, it was a disappointing ending again. So that's happened three times in a way, mm -hmm. disappointing endings again, where I believed you win games and they'll keep you around. And it worked my whole life. And in my 40s, three times I see, doesn't matter how good you do some things, sometimes it's just clean happens. Yeah. So, yeah, it yeah. was, I tell people all the time, I, I wouldn't wish my 40s on anybody except for the family part. The family part was awesome. Lane, you brought that up. I mean, our kids are now adults, they're marrying, we're getting grandkids. We have, you know, how much fun we all have when we get together. And I mean, the family part was amazing, but the, the work part was, yeah. was, was rough. Yeah. And that, but, but God was using that in my life to, to learn that internal vow I took was a really ugly way to live. Which, by the way, I want to tell the listeners again, I promise you, you have an internal vow you took when you were young. Wrestle with this, figure it out. And it worked for you. Maybe for some of you, you were in a very abusive type home and your internal vow was, uh, no one's going to hurt me anymore. So you put up some walls and they were survival walls. Mm -hmm. They're walls that helped you survive. You would not have made it through your, your, your early years, teenage years, twenties, but now you have broken relationships because you don't even realize you took that internal vow and you will not be transparent and open with your partner or your friends because you're not going to let anybody hurt you again. So I, everyone has yeah. an internal vow. Oh yeah. But that's how God revealed mine was to yeah. my, the crap of my forties. Yeah. And so now you got this. You know, the scars from the le lessons learned yeah, going to yeah. your 50s. Yeah. So now yeah. that now we're in current events. Yeah. So can I, can, I, can I share yeah. one thing, though? This, this oh, yeah, is yeah. really funny. This yeah. is so ironic. I've never shared this before. I meant to have this book. It's I left it in my backpack oh, yeah. over there, but I meant to have this book to show. So one of the ironic things that happened in one of those situations is I had told the board, I said, hey, let's all read this book together. And in February, when we do this getaway, we're going to actually talk through this book. And the title of the book was I Didn't See That Coming. So we're all reading this book in December and January, getting ready to lead up to the board meeting in February called I Didn't See That Coming. 
and I come back from a trip <laughs> and get yeah fired. Yeah. Which I'm a sucker While for I'm irony. reading the book, yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for irony. I love irony. Yes. It brings great joy to my life. Yes. Especially when it's not happening to me. Yeah. But like even just this podcast, for instance, like No Gray Areas, based yeah. off the book by Joe Gagliano's yeah. No Gray Areas, yeah. which was written while he was in prison. prison. Yes. Great book, the by the way. Like, yes. Where is it? Is it available on like Amazon? Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. Check it out. Absolutely. But yeah, no. So I'm a sucker for irony. I love it. Like yes. it's just. It's tasty Wait to me. Wait so a plug for it. Wait yeah. to a plug oh, for it. Oh, I was... Yeah. I knew I was going to get in somewhere. You were, there we were waiting Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you called it out. So yeah, yeah. go check it out. Yeah. It's uh, no gray areas discount code Brandon Lopez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get a percentage. You get a percentage. Uh, let's figure that out, right? But Yeah, we'll figure yeah. that out after yeah, yeah. the podcast. So yeah, you didn't see that coming. So, and I think there's a lot of things you know going into your 50s that you didn't see coming either. Yeah. Like, uh, they've been a lot better. A lot better, yeah. yeah. Like you would say this is so far the beginning of like... A really good decade. My favorite decade so far. Yeah. I'm only two years into it, so we'll, we, yeah. who knows? And and I know, again, I, yeah, I slow just down that. You got, you got eight more years. I know, I know. <laughs> I want the audience to know, for someone who's lived, probably for uh, some of them listening, I've lived longer than they have, maybe a decade or two decades longer than they have. Life is full of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It's a chapter book. That's what I try to tell everybody. And some of those chapters are going to be really good, and some of those chapters are going to be really, really painful. But it, but the, you're going to turn the page, and there's going to be another chapter. And that's what my life has shown. I, I had a lot, I had some tough chapters in my 40s. I had some good chapters in my 40s. But when I turned the chapter in my 50s, it's been adventure. To, I just, it's great so far. Yeah. Now, I'm probably going to have some tough chapters if God gives mm-hmm. me another eight years and I live through my 50s. I have some tough chapters in there for sure. Life has taught me that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, it's been great. It's been a, a big shift from my 40s. Nice. Yeah, a very good shift from yes. the 40s. Yeah. Yes. Nice. So, because um, I don't know how we're doing on time, so I want to kind of get into uh, another um, place, a topic of I want to talk to you about, especially now that we've kind of gone through what Pat was like in different stages of his life. So we now can take this in your own experiences, yeah. and we could also take this from the experiences that we've learned from your guests yeah. throughout, what was the last two years now? Yeah, two of No Gray Areas. Over two years. So yeah. the one thing I think- Way is to plug really, that, good yeah, too. Yeah, the You're one thing I love this. about No Gray Areas is the premise of it is, you know, the consequences of- the choices or decisions that you make, yeah. right? And when you're when you make that the context of conversation, you get a bunch of people of different origins, yeah. different life stories, yeah. different solutions that they may have came up with, whether they be good or bad. You know all these things. And so, one of the things I want to do when we get when I dive into this um, topic of discussion, I want to kind of pre- I'm going to might be a little long witted. I'm going to try to speed up my point here because I would love to hear your take on this, especially now that we've learned more about you, but now also the things that you've from, learned from, from the context, the, yeah, yeah, two yeah. years of doing no gray areas, yeah. listening to all these people. So I've been um, thinking about the di- difference between choices and decisions. And I think that some people might think that it's, uh, you know, it's, they're about the same semantics. I think that there's a huge difference between the, the two of them. And I think it's so, so different that there's a lot of weight to it as far as the way that we can perceive the way we interact with one another and interact with the world. So for instance, when we make a choice, the way I see it at least, it's like going to McDonald's and saying, like, hey, I want an ice cream cone. It's like, okay, do you want vanilla chocolate or vanilla. chocolate? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I'll choose yeah. vanilla because I'm, I'm basic, right? I'll take vanilla. But the nice thing with the choice is that the chocolate's always readily available whenever I want to go back. It could be the same day. It could be next day, next week. But it's it's not as grave. Like, the consequences to a choice is like, oh, vanilla kind of sucked, like right? It. I like, <laughs> like it. Yeah. Keep going. Or maybe vanilla. I tried something else and it's like, the consequences of that suck, but I could go back and make it, you know, change things. 
The fascinating thing about decision, the word decide derives from the Latin word decidere, which means to cut off or to kill off. And when we look at words like decide, C-I-D-E, suicide, homicide, genocide, pesticide, over. means to kill something kill. off. It's over. Right? Mm. And so what we see now when we make a decision or decide to do something, we're presented with options. And what I like to think of is when you choose one option, you're killing off the future version of yourself for not choosing the other. So for instance, um, an example of this, we've probably seen Hallmark movies about we, this. We, we need to just like drop the rest of this podcast and just keep this one point, keep this, this one yeah. part, because this yeah. is really... Because, yeah, so there's like, we could probably so think good of any book that you might've seen, any Hallmark movie you've probably seen, Christmas movie yeah. you've seen. Like, here's an example of this. They take like, you back and... They take you back. But like, for instance, let's say that, you know, we have a scenario where there's a guy that has a dream job and his dream job is in New York. And he's in his hometown, meets a girl, falls in love, but they're not at a point of being like committed to be married or anything. She's not going to move for him. He's not going to move for her kind of thing. Right. But he's still pursuing like his dream job. Like he's doing interviews. He gets a call from his dream job in New York saying, hey, we loved your interview. We like you. We want you to come here and work for us. Uh Oh, what do I do? I love this girl. Not ready to be committed to a marriage, but here's my dream job. So now we're not, we're not left with the choice. We're left it's with a the decision. decision. Yeah. So he, this person, yep. hypothetically, is now making a choice, a decision to kill off a future of himself with his dream job or to kill off a future version of himself with potentially dream girl. Like this could be his yep. best friend for, yep. for life, mother of his ch- uh, children, whatever that might be. Yeah. Decision. Making a decision. Now, when we talk about the consequences that we go into and when we, we make in our lives, especially, you know, we're talking about no gray areas. And we had conversations about this before. I think that the world is very much more gray than we want to admit, right? And so when we think yeah, about yeah. the future, it depends cells, on right? what we're talking about integrity. I don't yeah. think there's with when it comes to integrity, well, there's not a lot of gray. But yeah. you've heard me say this before, and I'm borrowing it from a friend mm-hmm. of mine. The grayer I get, the grayer life seems. Mm-hmm. So the more this up here and this yeah, up yeah. here turns gray, the more I see there's there's not things aren't quite as black and white as yeah. I thought. I'm not talking about with integrity, mm-hmm. like moral issues. It's like there, there's usually like black and yeah. white, like it's right or wrong. Well, I want to add to that. But I want to add to that. But life yeah. in general yeah. can be it gets it's, it's not as simple. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah. So like I have an idea of how I would respond to this question. I want to hear what your response to this question is because I think the distinguishment that you made is being black and white with your integrity in a gray world is probably a more accurate way of putting it. Well, I like that. You know. So after like we looked back in your life and now we we've put this in the context of the people that we've interviewed again, no gray areas based off of the book, no gray areas following Joe Gagliano's decisions and how that's affected his life. We could easily just read that book and and see how this carried out. Right. Yeah. Um, What are the things I think that's multifaceted. There's so many variables with this, but do your best. What do you think is the most important factors and influences in somebody's life that filters the way they make decisions? Oh, this is easy for me. R- really? Oh, piece of cake. Let's do it. Seriously. Oh, let me go with a harder question. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a great question. Yeah. It's a great yeah. question, but it's an easy answer. You got to have a playbook. Mm. It's, I, I mean, the way we've navigated for all of human history is we, we get a compass. We figure out, or you look at the star, you, figure, you get the North Star. You got to figure out what's north. You got to have something that's pointing you. You got to have something that's guiding you. If you don't have that, you're lost. If you don't have that, it's everything's just, you're just trying to figure things out. So, so the, how do you deal with decisions and choices? You got to have a playbook. Mm-hmm. And as a person of faith, I'm going, that's the beauty of the Bible. 
It's a playbook for us. He's telling us how to do life well. And then he's giving us many, 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 many stories in there about people who didn't do life well and lessons we can learn from them. And then there's a few in there that did life pretty well. Yeah. Most of them do life bad. Yeah. Most of them do life poorly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you read the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, there's not a lot of great examples in there. Most of them are bad examples. And then and he's saying like, hey, learn from them. Look, this is how they did it. They made a bad decision. And this is how it turned out. And it'll probably turn out for you. So the, what do you need? The playbook. Playbook. I, like I, I often say, and I know my, an, an, a mentor of mine and I were sitting down recently talking, and we said, you know, even if I die and I realize that this whole faith thing that I'm living, it's it's not true, which I won't know because then I just turn to dust. I just cease to exist, right? There's no eternity. Okay. But I still think that this is the best way to live. The way God told us to live, the North Star, so to speak, it makes the most sense. You know, like, I don't want to go through life hanging on to bitterness. I, I, I want to I want to forgive. Why? Because that's terrible to hang on to bitterness. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I, I don't want to have hatred. I don't want, I want to, I want to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, I just quoted mm-hmm. a passage, which is where he's saying, that's how to live. That's a better way to live. Even if we're wrong and I die <laughs> and I just cease to exist and there is no eternity. Yeah. So you were a fool for living a better life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a fool for living a life yeah. in a better way. And and so my forties, I, you know, I had disappointments and, and, and was wronged at times and I did wrongs at times. I look back on that and I go, how do I navigate that? The playbook. Hmm. Sometimes I navigated it well using the playbook. Sometimes I didn't. But when I did it well with the playbook, not easy, but better. Yeah. I like that because what you're describing too is submitting yourself to an authority that's not your own. Yeah. Because when we go about life, and I find this to be true for most people, and I I think this is something that we could all just think about, ponder about, wrestle with, is when we go about life thinking that we are legitimately like it's centered around us. Like, I I like myself. I I really do. Like, I respect myself. But I also know like, Brandon's kind of a dumb dumb sometimes a lot of times he's actually an idiot (laughs) most of the stuff i've learned if i'm honest yeah if i'm honest yeah like a lot of things i've learned i had to learn because of you know i had to learn those lessons or i have gained the wisdom from other people because i am at least smart enough like this is something that i will brag about myself a little bit i'm smart enough to not do things that i think will hurt me and listen to the people that done those things and said you know that's it's not a good thing you've done well with mentors too like yeah yeah you, you you pay attention you've had mentors that's part of your journey too yeah and I think that when we don't submit ourselves to another authority or submit to ourselves to at least really adhering yeah. to what other yeah. people, like the wisdom of other things, especially like when you talk about the Bible, like it's probably only, not probably, it is the only book in the world that pro- is like chock full of wisdom. Yeah. Whether you want to believe in it or not, like it's a good thing just yeah. as a wisdom standpoint that um, when you try to adhere to, I guess the quote on the playbook, of something that's not your own, like it's most likely, most often not going to play out better because when you interact with the world and when you interact with other people, you're usually always doing it for yourself, you know, the best self-interest, you know? And whether you think you're a good person or not, like you're always going to be doing things out of what you think is best for you. Yep, for sure. Regardless if it's going to hurt them, if it's going to benefit them. French philosopher 400 years ago say every person will do what's in their best interest Mm -hmm. all of the time. All of the time. And I've tried to fight against that. I mean, again, for the listeners, 
write what I just said down and go wrestle with it. And as much as you want to try to, to say, well, that's not true, you'll find out it is true. Mm-hmm. Every person does what is in his best or her best interest all of the time. Mm-hmm. So if I choose to be sacrificial in my giving, I'm doing that because I think it's going to benefit me. Right. Selfish? Not. It's just, it's just true. It's how we are as humans. So what you're saying is if we write our own playbooks, then it's not going to be a good playbook. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I say that's an easy answer for me. Um, if you're lost throughout human history, I don't get to just go out there and go, I think I'm going to say that way's north. No, I gotta, I gotta get out a compass and I gotta figure out which way is north, or I gotta look and find the north star. Because if I just pick which way is north, I'm gonna continue to be lost. There's only one north. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's better find. The, you better have yeah. the playbook, and you I, better keep studying the playbook. Yeah, I think that's a big one too. I like to raise this to you on your thoughts. Is that uh, coming onto this to you know interview you? I've been thinking about what are the like I asked myself like what do you think, Brandon, is one of the common themes of people's decision-making. And I think the playbook is actually phenomenal. Like, that's a phenomenal point. I really like that. So I'm going to steal that, and I won't coach you about it. I'm going to claim it as my own. Uh, (laughs) I'm playing. Um, But I think that, like, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you about your life in the way that I did was so we could hopefully paint and illustrate the kind of character that you are, you know, personality, your character, and what kind of values and principles that you had throughout your life, how they may have changed, what influenced them, and I think that for most people, I think what really influences a lot of our decision making is based upon our values and our principles because it's what filters what we're going to do. So like if I have values and principles and like, let's say it's like there's a gray area here and I that's my values and principles call me not to do that. It is in my name. It is in my family tradition. It is in my beliefs, whether it be in the Bible, like God, like it's in not dancing that I do not want to go in that line. Like it's my values and principles that I'm filtering out mm-hmm. the, like what I'm going to do with mm-hmm. the options that I have yeah, in, in yeah, life and yeah. the consequences. And I think the biggest thing actually with decision-making, which is very neat actually, is I think that there's there's a line that everybody is going to dance on or cross or try to stay away from. And I think the problem with decision-making, if you're going to cut off a future version of yourself, that means it's going to be that much more easier to make decisions that support whatever future you do decide to pursue. So if you want to be a good father or a good husband and you decide to play in a gray area, like, oh, I'm going to start flirting with other, you know, other people that's not my spouse. I'm going to start going, you know, being secretive and tag making a decision. You're making decisions, but and you're you're killing off a future version of yourself slowly and like slowly but surely, but to the point where that line just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. And your threshold of tolerance for what you're willing to do is going to only reflect the kind of future that you're wanting to pursue. Yeah. So if you want, like one of the best things that I've like been, you know what goes along with this really quickly is one of the, one of the taglines that we often use here at no gray areas. We say your choices, you make your choices and your choices make you, Mm -hmm. but based on what you're differentiating between choices and decisions, maybe a better way to say that is you make your decisions and your decisions make you mm-hmm. because a decision is actually making you. Yeah. It's you're ki- oh, yeah. when you make a decision is killing off mm-hmm. what you could be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And well said. Yeah. And I think that when you when you do that like you're only like one of the things that I've been doing the, one of the frameworks I've been thinking through is what is the and this is a maybe a good way for us to really conclude this yeah. conversation is one of the things that I've been doing a lot lately is I think often than not, when we think of the future version of ourselves, we think about the things of like, where do I want to be in life? Like, 
do I want this house, the cars, the business, the success, the family, um, the kind of status? Like when we think of like, what does future Pat or future Brandon look like? We usually associate with these things. Rather, we never ask ourselves like, what is future Brandon? Who is he going to be like? And when I think about that, I put this framework and I think of like, okay, there's a kind of person of character and value and principle that I want to pursue and be like. That's, I have an image of future Brandon. Now I want to reverse engineer everything from there and ask myself, all right, if I make this decision, is that going to get me closer to this future version of me that I want? If, and if it's not, that means I'm going to slowly kill off that future version of me. Yeah. So if I want to be a, a good husband and a good father, all right, let's say I just want to be a good husband, decisions. then I'm going to make the decision. Like I'm not, I'm not messing with yeah. this stuff over here. Not I'm not even playing with that yep. like at all. Yep. Because if I tolerate this at all, you're not going to be that future version. I'm not going to be this future version. Yep. And that could be business. That could be relationships. That could be anything. Right. Yep. So it's a perfect way yep. to wrap this up, Brandon, because I do think I go back again and it's what I really despise about our society and especially our education system is we spend so much time with young people telling help, helping them and asking them, what do you want to be? Mm -hmm. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? When the better question would be, who do you want to be? It's not what do you want to be, it's who do you want to be. And really the reality is you have no idea where you'll be or what you'll be two years from mm -hmm. now. I can pro my life has shown me that. You may think you have a plan and you're like, this is where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing two years from now. You have no, no idea. Yeah. Okay. But you can be making decisions today mm -hmm. on who you'll be dis despite what you'll be doing yeah. or where you'll be. 100%. But you can be making decisions today mm -hmm. on what kind of person you'll be. Yep. And add some more weight to that for our listeners. You only get one name in this world, which means you only get really one reputation. Yeah. And that is your biggest asset. Yeah. And you can change your re reputation over time, but that's going to be a very grueling and hard thing to do, especially if you made mistakes yeah. or you know had accidents or you purposely did things that you shouldn't have done, yeah. you know? But you only get one name. So it's best that you, like, especially for like young listeners, even like people my age, like we only get one name in this world. Right. Yeah. That's all we take with us. Like we, you can lose everything. Like I could lose everything. I could lose my family. I could lose business. I could lose everything, but I'm still left with my name. Yeah. Now, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to the way that I interact with other people and the way that I interact with the world? Like that's serious stuff. Yeah, it is. It's it is. very serious stuff. Yeah. And I think, so this is kind of leads into the question now. So uh, I want you to think about, you know, you're 52, 52. So well, let's say you're. I was going to say 70, but I'm like, ah, that's not, <laughs> that's pretty close for you. <laughs> okay. Now let's say, let's say, 80. Like that for you. let's say 80, let's say there's 80 year old Pat. I want you to picture 80 year old Pat now. Now there's a version of you, a future version of Pat that you can imagine and picture of who you want to be like, that you aspire to be like, that's your dream version of you. That's 80 year old Pat. What would 80 year old Pat tell current Pat now? I think because this is what I mean, I write it down. You know, I take tons of notes in this, these books I carry around. And in my last two years, I've been writing this to myself over and over again. I'm reading Ecclesiastes. It's a book in the Bible written by the wisest man in the world. I'm reading it over and over and over and over again. Most people think it's a depressing book. It's not when you really dig down and you see the few highlights of what he's really trying to get across. But this is what I keep messaging myself. And I think my, my little wrinkled prune 80-year-old Pat with slumped shoulders sitting in this chair. Would be looking great by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, that 80-year-old Pat would come back and say, enjoy the journey. I spent so much life just trying to take the mountains and get the winds. 
And again, that's part of what I think the forties taught me, but enjoy the journey. Like even the mundane things in life, like if you're just always going for the the vacation four, four weeks out or the, which is kind of how I'm wired. Mm. I'm wired to go for that win. You miss so much of life. So I think, I don't know, I'm not there yet, but I think that 80 year old Pat would say, enjoy the journey. You didn't always do that well earlier, but if you're going to get another 30 years, enjoy the journey. Love it. Nice. Yeah. Appreciate it. Now we're in the segment of the podcast where we go to, uh, you know, the tradition but you usually ask this. Yes. I get the pleasure of asking yeah. this. And uh, I encourage you to lie to me yes. and the audience. Try to fool us. So uh, you got true, true, two, two truths and a lie. lie. All right, here we go. This was tough because you know me pretty well. It's going to be hard to stump stump you. See. So, and I and I wrote these down because yeah, I'll, I want you not I'll to look give at it that. away. No, no, no. I'll <laughs> give it away. I'll give it away. So number one, growing up, my dad stitched up my wounds himself. Number two, years ago, I took my 12-year-old daughter to Uganda with me, and we needed a UN escort to go into the northern region. Number three, my nose has been broken three times. Well, I feel like your dad would do that. I'm not going to say that's a true or or a lie yet, but I feel like that would be up your dad's alley. I don't think he was fond of, uh, you know, taking you in anywhere. You were a homeless kid anyway, so why would he take you to the hospital, right? I wasn't homeless until I was high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, you acted homeless. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's see what you're saying. Okay. See here, 12 years ago? What? You took your daughter- No, I said when when she was 12. 12, okay. That's true. The year might be wrong if you're trying to do a sly Uganda. Yeah, so I think that's true. I'm going to say that's the truth. No. It's not? No. What? No. Okay. So we did this on purpose because you were telling me you hate when people do two truths and lies. So you did it. So I did it. I just did it to bug you. No, my dad did stitch up my wounds. He got tired of taking me to the hospital. Look at me, audience. Right so now. he just started. Now it sounds worse right than now. it is. He just started putting tape. <laughs> like he'd shave the back of my yeah. head. I got all kinds of scars back of my head. He just shaved the whole back of my head and put two pieces of tape and 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 sew the tape together. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like, I'm tired of paying. I got stitches so many yeah. times. Uh, my nose has been broken three times. The first okay. time from two of my best friends who got in a fight over the front seat yeah, of the yeah. car and I tried to break it up. Second time. Um, from a church league basketball game and the third time from my 14-year-old son in the pool. Oh, there you me. go. See, I chose not to say that one now, because I didn't want to offend you either. Daughter, <laughs> we did go to Uganda. We did need a UN escort, but I would yeah. never take a 12-year-old in such a dangerous situation. She was 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little older, a little wiser. Yes. Fend for herself. She was ready yeah. to fend for herself. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so you-, you We did, at 13 hate. years old. Yeah. Yeah, so I did oh. exactly what you said- you hated about two truths and a lie when I, someone uh, just tweaks. Will not lie. So I got it. I got well, you. I'm a so little proud upset of that. that you would do that to me. Yes. Um, well, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate. You're it. welcome. Yeah. Actually, I. I it's. Oh, yeah, you. The, you know, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm the host. Yes. I say thank you. Thank you, Pat, <laughs> for being on this episode of No Gray Areas. It was my absolute pr- pleasure to interview you. I hope the audience really enjoyed getting to know you more, and uh, of course. You guys get stuck with Pat because he's going to be here always back in this seat. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. It's going to be good. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. You guys now probably figured it out. I'm not actually Pat McCullough. I am Brandon, his son-in-law. I had a great time interviewing him, your host of No Gray Areas. I hope that we all took something away from learning from his life and learning how decisions can greatly impact the way that we interact with one another and interact with the world. If you need some more information on No Gray Areas podcast, you can go to info at nograyareas.com. Catch you later. Love you. Have a great week.